Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 835, so glad to have you with us on a Friday morning. A lot of stuff going on on today's program. Tickets for Insight 2017, scheduled for April 19th. That is a Wednesday at the Country Springs Hotel. Go on sale in just about a half an hour. Tell you how you can get those. Um, a lot of great guests on the already some of our announced guests. Um, we've got Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. And we're going to be talking about not just what's going to be on the Miller stage this year, but we're going to be talking about Summerfest history and telling war stories about the years at Summerfest. It's the 50th anniversary of Summerfest. We're going to be joined by not one, not two, but three current members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, giving you an opportunity to to see these justices out of their robes, as it were. That should be interesting. We'll be announcing another headliner coming up in just a few minutes. And like I say, tickets go on sale at 9 o'clock. be telling you how you can get them. We're actually um, going to make it easier, um, very, very easy to do it, especially um, we can, we're going to be texting you the link, all those different things. So Insight 2017, tickets go on sale in less than a half hour. I will tell you all about that. I'm going to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin at 1040 this morning. Uh, one of the things that I, the Walker administration has been focused like a laser beam on lately is, is jobs, creating jobs in the state. And yesterday they announced an arrangement with the, the German company that makes gummy bears. And they're going to be coming to Pleasant Prairie. And uh, they look like about 400 potential jobs. Really something outstanding. We'll be talking to the governor about that and about some of the other issues as well. That is scheduled at 1040 today. And, of course, our three big things. And, and today... They are really huge. You've got the Gorsuch nomination to the Supreme Court. You've got the health care debate. And um, you have this horrible story involving the city employee who was killed. Um, he was on the job, but apparently he was just the victim of, again, of a random carjacking um, by, and at least if some of the preliminary reports that one TV station has, these tel- uh, preliminary reports, um, I think it's going to raise a lot of questions, again, about what's going on in the court system. But we'll talk all about that in a couple minutes. But first, I want to give you an update on a story that we've been talking about for the last two days. I throw it into the category of don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Manpower, big local corporation that, interestingly enough, the business is placing people in jobs. Manpower sort of quietly announces last week that they are – getting rid of 150 jobs in their Milwaukee office. And the only place this was originally reported was was the Business Journal. And the the implication that Manpower put out there was, well, it's because of we're we're automating things, and so we no no longer need the jobs. Now, I get automation. That, That is one of the realities that we deal with. For example, in the radio industry, you know, it used to be that well, there, there was a there was a disc jockey at every music station for every shift. Now they do these things called voice tracking, and you can have somebody that can be a personality in multiple markets just by again recording things. So I understand the whole concept of automation, and you're seeing that in a number of different areas. Um, people who are pushing the best example I give is people who are pushing fifteen dollars an hour for fast food workers. Well, okay, that that's just cutting the throats economically of fast food workers because if you make the franchises, if you make the operators pay $15 an hour, you know what's going to happen? What they're going to do is they're going to invest in self-service kiosks and things like that, and at $15 an hour for labor, the payback period for those kiosks is really, really, really small. But I understand automation. 
Manpower, though, is not an automation situation. I received two days ago an email from the father of a woman who was one of the people that was losing their job. And the, the essence of the email was, hey, Manpower is talking about automation. That's not what's going on. They are outsourcing the jobs. These 150 people who are losing their jobs, or at least many of them, these jobs aren't going away. These jobs are going to India. And what's more, to kind of add insult to injury and rub salt into the wound, the deal that Manpower is telling the employees is, we are going to bring your replacements from India over here, and you are going to be responsible for training them. And if, if you train them satisfactorily, you can keep your job for a couple months while you're training them, and we'll give you some severance payments. If you don't train them satisfactorily, well, you're not getting any severance payments. So, I mean, you want to talk about insult, adding insult to injury. Again, I, I understand also outsourcing. But here, we're going to bring your replacements in, and then you have to train them. And if you don't do a good enough job of training your replacement, well, you're not going to get a severance payment. All right? But, of course, that's not what Manpower is saying. Manpower is saying, hey, we're, we're, this is just it's automation. You know, well, okay, it's not. It appears to be, again, just an outsourcing, which is okay if you want to do it, although there is an irony, it seems to me, about a company that looks to put people in jobs, now outsourcing jobs to India. In any event, I, I have a, a follow-up. I'm not going to mention her name, but um, she writes, she says, Jeff, I'm the daughter of the man who sent you the email the other day pointing out the truth about what is going on at Manpower. I'm thankful to him for writing it, and I'm thankful that you took the time to read it and talk about it on the air. I told my dad that one of the worst parts of this whole thing, and she's an accountant, by the way, one of the worst parts of this whole thing is that it was just being swept under the rug and that 150 of us affected were just being forced to take it. We were notified on Thursday, March 16th, and the first phase of the training of our replacements started right away on Monday, March 20th. Participating in the training has shown me perhaps the hardest day in my professional career, and I don't expect it to get any easier. So again, what they're doing is, these jobs aren't going away. They're, they're not being automated. These jobs are going to be done by people from India who presumably are going to make a lot less money. And so manpower is bringing them into the country and, again, expecting the people who are doing the jobs in America to train them. All right, she continues. Participating in the training has shown me perhaps the hardest day in my professional career, and I don't expect it to get easier. I am not in the position, along with many others, that have, that are or have been in the situation to leave. So I am in participating. So in other words, she's like, well, I need the money. I need the job. I don't have another job, so I can't walk away. So I have to come in on a daily basis and train the person from India who is going to be taking my job. Um, that being said, I'm happy that the truth about what is happening is coming out and that people are talking about instead of it going unnoticed as attempted. Like you talked about, do what you feel has to be done as a company, but at least own up to what you're doing. I know that Manpower isn't the first company that has outsourced jobs, and it certainly won't be the last. But when it happens, we cannot let it go unnoticed. Our employers need to own up to what they are doing instead of spinning it to sound like it's no big deal. So thanks for telling the truth, et cetera, et cetera. It makes it all a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah this is, and again, that that's the key. I understand Manpower has the right to do it, but Manpower should not be deceiving the public about what is, in fact, going on. And manpower should man up and acknowledge that, all right, this is the case here. We are outsourcing these jobs. It's cheaper to send it to India than it is to pay people here in the United States. Fine. If you want to say that, own up to it. 
Um, but so far, they continue to say, well, you know, this is a very sensitive situation, and, you know, it, it's just automation and out of respect for everybody. No, there's no respect for the 150 people who are losing their jobs. They're getting messed over in the worst way possible, and people need to know about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Then three big things. We start out with what's going on with health care. Stick around. 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight forty-seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So, what exactly does it take to make a run to the NCAA Final Four as an eight seed? One man who knows the answer is Andy Kowski, the former Badger who was a starter on the two thousand Final Four team. He joins Scafidi and Billstat today at one thirty-five. All right, perhaps the biggest story of the day is playing out in the area of healthcare. Everybody knows that uh, there. For six years, Republicans have run on the concept of of repeal and replace Obamacare. The devil is now in the details. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, has come up with a, a plan. It is supported by President Trump, which would, well, dramatically alter Obamacare. Um, in the minds of some conservatives, it does not go far enough. And as a result, you have... Members of the so-called Freedom Caucus, about 20 very, very conservative Republican lawmakers are saying, we're not going to support this. Of course, no Democrats are going to support it. So now you've got 20 conservative members who say, well, yes, we, we prefer this as an option, but it doesn't go anywhere near far enough. So we're not going to vote for it. So the vote was scheduled to be yesterday. I think Paul Ryan all along anticipated that at the end of the day, people would come around. But as of last night, that had not happened the votes were not there so the word is today there's been some more arm twisting the president has said look i, I want to have a vote on this and we're this this is the time we are going to vote on this i want this to be voted on and if it doesn't pass fine we're just going to stick with obamacare that's going to be the way it is i want this to be a vote and i think the idea is here we're going to pressure some of those people who have been running for years and years on repealing and replacing obamacare we're going to pressure them into a situation where, all right, if you don't vote for it, then you're going to have to tell your constituents why you did not support this. So you've got the Republican alternative that is out there, and the question is becoming, you know, are people going to vote for this, or are they not going to vote for it? Will there be a vote? Will it be better off? Part of the problem, and when you see, like, the newspaper analysis of these things, they compare some of the stuff that the Republicans want to do to Obamacare, and they say, well, this might cost more, or you might have a situation where you're not going to get as much mandatory coverage and things like that. Part of the problem with this whole thing, though, in my opinion, is that it's sort of a false comparison because I do not believe Obamacare is sustainable. You know, this idea that five years from now, you're going to, if you don't do something, you're going to have Obamacare. That just doesn't make any sense to me. You have more and more insurers who are dropping out of the market. They're simply saying, we can't make money doing this. We are not going to offer plans. So in some cases and in some states, you, you have you only have one insurer that is there, and the types of coverages and the types of plans and the types of hospitals that they're associated with are very, very limited. I think that that is going to be the future. My theory all along has been that's what the architects of Obamacare knew was going to happen. They knew ultimately that this would implode, and what we would end up with was essentially you know, a single-payer system where all the insurance, all the claims, everything, all the coverage stuff 
goes through the federal government, that single-payer system, where they become the ultimate in- insurer. Um, that's what I think has always been the plan. So to me, the comparison isn't what Ryan is talking about versus Obamacare. It's what Ryan is talking about versus single-payer or where Obamacare will be in two or three years. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. Is it important to take a vote today? And is it important to pass the repeal and replace? Knowing that even if they pass something in the House, it's then going to go over to the Senate, so more stuff is going to be done. You want to see them take a vote today. How important is that to you? And if they don't vote today... Is this issue going to be dead for the foreseeable future like the president suggests? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 851, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tickets for Insights 2017 go on sale in about 10 minutes. I'll tell you about one of our headliners that we have lined up as well and how you can arrange to get tickets. It's going to be a great evening, April 19th. Right now, of course, the big story in Washington, D.C. is will there be a vote on health care? It was supposed to be yesterday. Well, they didn't have the votes, so the vote was delayed. President Trump is saying it's got to be today, and if it's not going to happen today, just take it off the table. You know, we're going to live with Obamacare and see where that leads us. I think it leads us to ruin because I don't think Obamacare is sustainable. Let's talk to... Don in Milwaukee. Don, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. For taking my call. Hi, Don. Hi. Um, I was involved with uh, Obamacare for a little while. Um, when I first signed up, uh, I was told that my doctors were in their network to find out if they weren't. Right. Um, in the three, four months I had them, I was paying my premiums, and then I was, you know, they never covered any of my medications. They need to get rid of Obamacare and get this new plan in place. Otherwise, there's no doctors would even take them. Right. So you were one of those guys that when, when the president's when President Obama said, if you like your doctor, you can keep them. If you like your plan, you can keep it. You were one of those guys that found out, no, that's not exactly the case. That's not how it works, huh? Uh, with Obamacare, yeah. yeah right. Um, yeah, you know, I called my I asked them specifically, gave my doctor's names, the locations. Oh, yeah, they're in our network. Uh, yeah, you can keep them to find out when I want to see my doctor's hope. We won't touch Obamacare. Well, Every time I try to find a new doctor to get to see they said we won't touch obamacare right and that be and thanks to see and that that's and that's that's what has happened over the last several years and it's what is going to continue to happen and and get worse because the reality is right now private insurers can't make enough money with obamacare and with the way the system is set up to continue operating so that's why you have all these different private insurers that are pulling out of the marketplaces, leaving people with very, very few options. And a lot of the options that people have, well, limited choices as the doctors, because the doctors don't participate in it, limited choices as to coverage, and increasing costs. And that is going to continue to spiral. And that's why I say, like, the false dichotomy, the false comparison is saying, well, we're looking at the Republican plan, and we're comparing it to what Obamacare is now. Well, the truth is, you got to be looking at where Obamacare is going to be two or three years from now as more and more insurers exit the marketplace like they have over the last couple years. That's why something dramatically needs to be done. Look, here's what's going on with health care. This is, this is a train 
that's kind of like heading down the tracks, and you see a light at the end of the tunnel that you think is Obamacare, and what it is, it's a light that's it's a train that's coming the other way. Something I think needs to be done. Now, is the proposal that you have from the Republicans is it a perfect proposal? Well, the the answer is is probably not. But what they're trying to do is make it more market based as an incentive to try to get more insurers to participate in this. To again, you get more insurers to participate. You have competition. You have competition. What happens is you end up with uh, again more options for consumers and reduced costs. Now, one of these things is a CBO analysis out there that says, well, if you do this, you know, people are going to lose coverage. Well, that's not really true. What happens is under the Republican plan, people will have the option as to whether they want to sign up or not. But if they choose to be uninsured and then they need to come back into the system, they're going to have to pay a hefty penalty. So the idea is this will provide an incentive for people to be able to be covered. But I also want to tell you, and and many of you know this, if you're dependent on the Obamacare situation and you make just a little bit more money than is necessary to qualify for the federal subsidies, you are paying a ton of money for crummy coverage, coverage that, as a general rule, is much worse than you could have purchased for yourself five or six or seven years ago before this whole system went into effect. Look, I think it is important to have a vote. I think at the end of the day, you're going to have enough conservatives that will peel off to give you that 216 votes you need, send it off to the Senate, figure out, you know, ultimately what the version is going to be. But for Republicans who have been talking about replace and repeal for six years, today is the day where the metal meets the meat. And just because something isn't perfect doesn't mean that that is an excuse not to vote for it. And I think the president has been very clear. All right, you you don't vote for this, meaning that from now on, you don't send it over the Senate. There's no more chances to you know work with this. You do that. You end up owning it, and you go back and explain to your constituents why you've been promising to do something for six years, and you had a chance, and you didn't. It's 8.59, coming up right after the news. We'll tell you about our latest guest for Insight 2017, how you can get tickets, and big thing number two, a brouhaha in the U.S. Supreme Court. Stick around. It's 8.59. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Insight 2017. April 19th, that's a Wednesday evening at the Country Springs Hotel. Some of the guests that we've already announced, um, Don Smiley and Bob Babich from Summerfest, talking about the history of Summerfest and their backgrounds. Not one, not two, but three sitting members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. A chance to get you to see the people behind the names that are in the headlines and behind the robes. Um, I am pleased to announce that our headliner, after a one-year hiatus, Governor Scott Walker, is going to be back with us to talk well, not just policy, not just the future, but also give you a chance to, to learn a little bit more about the person behind the headlines. So Governor Scott Walker is going to be joining us as Insight on Wednesday, April 19th. Tickets are now on sale. Um, tickets are 20 bucks plus whatever the that minor handling charge is. Um, they tend to sell out quickly, and this year I think we'll, again, see um, good response. Certainly hope that. What you can do is you can go to WTMJ.com, and on the main page you'll see something that says Purchase Tickets for Jeff Wagner's Insight 2017. You can click on it, and it will give you all the information you need. In addition, we will make it even easier for you. We have our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, which is, of course, 414-799-1620. If you just text the word tickets 
to 414-799-1620. We will send you the link that gives you the opportunity to, again, get tickets for Insight 2017, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. We'll have more guests that we'll be announcing as well. But Governor Scott Walker will be there. He'll be one of our headliners. Bob Babish, Don Smiley from Summerfest, three members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and lots more. It is April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. You can go to our website for all the information and the ability to purchase tickets. In addition, if you simply text the word TICKETS, to 799-1620, that is plural, T-I-C-K-E-T-S. We will send you a link to all the information you need to get the tickets and hope to see everybody out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel, Insight 2017. Big story number two. The Democrats have now announced that they are going to filibuster the nomination of Judge Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. Judge Gorsuch went through three days of confirmation hearings this week, and I think everybody on the right and the left agrees that nobody really laid a glove on him. Nobody laid a glove on him at all. I think what you have is somebody who is eminently qualified for the job. And what ended up happening is you had the Democrats who, despite the fact that they haven't laid a glove on him, they have decided Okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, we're upset because, we're upset and we're angry because, well, uh, Merrick Garland didn't get an up or down vote in the Senate. So we're going to kind of dig in our heels and we're going to say, nope, you know, we're not going to participate in this. We're not going to vote for him. We're not going to give him an up or down vote. Now, the way it works in the Senate right now is in order to break a filibuster, what you need is you need 60 votes, 60 votes. There are 52 Republicans in the Senate, enough to pass on an up or down vote, but not to break out a filibuster. A number of years back, Harry Reid, when he ran the Senate, changed the Senate rules with regard to federal judges, appellate court judges and district court judges. Used to be you could filibuster them. The rules have now changed. It's an up or down vote. So all you need is a majority. If the Democrats go ahead with their filibuster, refusing to give uh, Judge Gorsuch an up or down vote, the alternative that the Republicans have is what they call the nuclear option, changing the rules. So here is my question. If there is going to be a filibuster, if the Democrats, as they say, are going to dig in their heels to prevent an up or down vote on Judge Gorsuch getting to the Supreme Court, should the Republicans change the rules? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Once again, um, you can also text us the word tickets, and we'll send you the link, the information you need to get tickets to um, Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel. Back to discuss next. It's 913, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 915, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Kurt on the south side. Kurt, good morning. Good morning. All right, what do the Republicans do? You're welcome. What do the Republicans do? Democrats say we're not going to give this guy an up or down vote. They should go with the nuclear option. I mean, come on. Fair is fair. It's gone on long enough. We need to get on with business in this country. Well, right, I guess, see, I mean... I, I I wonder what is the option if if you don't do this um, and the Democrats have simply said, all right, we're going to block any nominee 
we're not going to allow, what, for four years, Donald Trump to make any sort of appointments to the Supreme Court? You want to leave the thing vacant for four years? I, to me, that is completely and totally unacceptable. I agree with you. Yeah, I thanks. I, you know, look, I, I think th- there's a lot of Republicans, including guys like Ron Johnson, who I think are very, very sensitive and appreciative of the traditions and the rules of the U.S. Senate. And they are reluctant to make these changes, appropriately so. They didn't like it when Harry Reid changed the rules a couple years ago to, again, take away the filibuster ability for district judges and circuit court judges. They didn't like it, but Reid had the majority in the Senate at the time. He rammed this through, and as a result, you had a lot of judges that might otherwise not have been confirmed who ended up getting confirmed, at least when the Democrats controlled the Senate. So I think a lot of Republicans didn't like that at the time, didn't enjoy it when it happened, but the reality of the situation is, right now you have a Republican president, you have Republicans that control both the Senate and the House of Representatives, and as we have frequently said a lot over the course of the last eight years, uh, the reality is elections have consequences. One of the reasons why Donald Trump won the election was because you know, I think people thought that he would make better choices when it came to appointing judges and or justices to the United States Supreme Court than Hillary Clinton would. So now you have somebody who is not a controversial nominee. They didn't lay a glove on Neil Gorsuch. He is, I think, again, is he a conservative jurist? Absolutely. He is a conservative jurist, but that's what you would expect from a Republican nominee. He is not out of the mainstream at all. There's not like there's smoking guns that are there. This is the type of person who should be on the U.S. Supreme Court, and I think he deserves an up or down vote. So if the Democrats decide that this is the guy that they want to draw the line in the sand on, this, an eminently qualified jurist, this is the one where they're going to say, we're not going to give you an up or down vote. Well, all right, then I think it is inevitable. What has to happen is the rules have to change. I appreciate traditions as well, but at the same time, Elections have consequences. There's a spot that needs to be filled. This is a great guy to fill it. So do it. It's 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number three coming up. New details emerging in the horrible death of the city employee a couple days ago. Stick around. It's 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bowling has been a big part of Wisconsin's history and culture for decades. How is the sport trying to attract younger players? Get the details on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That's 334 today. Tickets for Insight 2017, April 19th, the Country Springs Hotel have just gone on sale. You can go to WTMJ.com and you can just click on the appropriate link. Um, Hope you join us. One of our featured headliners is going to be Governor Scott Walker. And we're going to be talking, again, about current events and things like that. But also, I want to give you an opportunity to get to know the, the real Scott Walker. So you have that chance. Um, we're going to have Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest talking about not just the 50th year of Summerfest, but all 50 years of Summerfest. We're going to be joined by three justices from the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court and a number of other guests as well. But uh, tickets have just gone on sale. You can go to WTMJ.com. Log on for the information. In addition, if you text us the word tickets, T-I-C-K-E-T-S, T-I-C-K-E-T-S, to our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 
414-799-1620. We'll send you a link. Make it easy to do that. Hope to see a lot of people out there on April 19th. I am very excited about it. Big story number three, and it's... There, it's it's a it's a horrible story. It, it just is, and it's one that I think has just stunned a lot of people, from the mayor and the police chief to city workers to just in in, in general, in general, it has shocked the conscience of of the city of of Milwaukee. There's no secret that there is a huge crime problem in the city of Milwaukee, and that there are areas that are unsafe. Still, what I think. A lot of people struggle with is is the randomness of of the crime, and and that's one of the things that's become concerning because there's always been in any urban area, there's always been so called quote unquote bad neighborhoods, um, where you, you understand that you have to be on on your guard if you're going to go into some of the bad neighborhoods. But one of the things that we've seen over the last number of years is that the crime, it, it's it's started to spread, and the victims have ended up being again just just more more random and you have the story of the 64 year old a special enforcement agent for, from the Milwaukee Department of Neighborhood Services who was you know out out on the job and I think originally some of the questions were was this some disgruntled person that doesn't appear to be the case it appears that this man was the the victim of again a random criminal act um, here's the way Channel 6 reported this last night. Um, and now other reports are saying that there's three people in custody. Channel 6 reported last night five people, but three, five, whatever. You, you get an idea. Here's what Channel 6 reported. Sources close to the investigation tell Fox 6 News five suspects are in custody for questioning in connection with the murder of a Milwaukee housing inspector near 23rd and Cherry on Wednesday. Um, sources say that the officer, the agent, was gunned down on the job in broad daylight and that he may have been the target of a carjacking. At least two of the suspects were out on bail or bond at the time. He was killed by a suspect who had a long-barreled gun, sources say. Um, arrests took place at two locations Wednesday afternoon within hours of the shooting. Police chased, and this is Channel 6 reporting it, police chased a stolen Kia Soul to 18th and Nash where it crashed and suspects fled on foot. Three were arrested there, sources said. A stolen Toyota Venza crashed at 27th and Hope where two were arrested, sources say. You know, and then they talk about you know, people who are interviewing and you know following the, the scene. Sources tell Fox 6, a group of teens... A group of teens came up to carjack the man when one of the suspects fired a long-barreled gun, killing him. The suspects then took off. The TV station Fox 6 reports one of the suspects, a 21-year-old, is out on $1,000 bail, accused of theft, in which he allegedly hit an arresting officer in the face with his elbow. An August 2016 charge of felon in possession of a firearm accused him of having a stolen 9mm gun. So let, let me back up here. One of the suspects in the murder of this city building inspector um, has to have, I, I don't know the extent of his prior record, but he has to have a prior record because in in August of 2016, he's charged with being a, a felon in possession of a gun. 
And, of course, the precursor to that is you have to be a felon in the first place. So you're 21 years old. Um, you're involved in that. He is out on a $1,000 bail accused of theft where he allegedly hit an officer in the face with his elbow. Um, a 17-year-old suspect, 17 years old, is currently facing a February charge accusing him of stealing a Lexus. So what they're saying is one of the people that they believe that was responsible for this carjacking that led to the death of the man um, is out, is out, he's facing a charge of stealing a Lexus. Here's the dazzling detail. All right, you're 17 years old. You are caught stealing a car, right? Um, nice car. You're out on bail. Okay, well, you have a right to bond. What, what was the bond? According to the news reports, $500 signature bond. And a signature bond means you don't have to put any money up. You just promise that if I don't show up, I will pay. That's what signature bond means. So here you have a 17-year-old who apparently is a car thief who is turned loose, again, if these reports are correct, turned loose on a $500 signature bond, which is just something he signs for. And then now he is believed to be at least one of the people who might have been involved in the carjacking that led to the, the death of this man. Now, the, the larger point here, first of all, this is it's a tragedy, and I think and I want to give credit to Mayor Tom Barrett. You know, they immediately you know, got all the people from the city building, the specters department together, and, and they reassured public employees that, hey, we're, we're committed to, we are committed to your safety. And that is, of course, the appropriate response. However, it doesn't appear to me that this guy was targeted because he was a, a public employee. This was just somebody who was sitting in a car on the streets of Milwaukee in broad daylight, and you had a bunch of the, these thugs that decided they were going to take his car. We don't know if he resisted or anything or whether the gun went off or whatever, but this, again, shows that this incredible danger that is out there. And it's the broader thing, because the truth is this could happen to anybody. It, it could. And the reality is there, there's not I, – I don't know what you can do to accept, expect the city to necessarily protect people. He wasn't targeted because of his job. But here's the other thing that you can't end up, I think, stressing enough, and that is – what were these people doing out? I mean, time and time again, if you talk to police officers, what they will tell you is one of their biggest frustrations is that the people who are committing crimes are the same ones they are doing it over and over and over again. The cops catch them. They come into the court system. They are turned loose back on the street on ridiculous bails, incredibly low bails or bonds or whatever, and then they go out and they reoffend, or they're put on probation instead of being sent off to prison. In this case, you've got one of the people who's been arrested, at least according to the news reports, in connection with this, who's out on a $500 signature bond in connection with a car theft a month ago, and somebody else, a 21-year-old, who appears to have, at least from the surface, a, a decent record, who was out on, what's it, a, a $1,000 bail. And... Rather than conforming to the requirements of the law, they're out there continuing to commit more crimes. So in addition to pledging to support public employees, in addition to committing to try to put more police and make people safer, it would be interesting if we have this dialogue about why the Milwaukee County court system continues to turn loose people over and over and over again on ridiculously low bails 
that do not disincentivize them to go out and continue to commit crimes. How many more carjackings are we going to have to have? How many more people are going to have to die um, committed by people who should not have been out in the first place? And that is the other ongoing frustration of this terrible, terrible story. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Two Milwaukee area restaurants are ditching the straw. What then led them to that decision? Hear from one of the restaurant owners in the Wisconsin's Morning News section of WTMJ.com. Um, tickets for Insight 2017, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel just went on sale. Um, you can go to WTMJ.com. We've got a link that lets you get the tickets. Headliner is going to be Governor Scott Walker back after, I think, a one-year hiatus. Uh, we'll be talking to the governor about, well, the state of the state, the future, and also a little bit of back, background, give you a chance to know Scott Walker, the person. We're going to be joined by Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. Not one, not two, but three sitting justices on the state Supreme Court. And there'll be more guests as well, but um, tickets are on sale now. I think they're $20, and then whatever the little handling charge is, you can go to WTMJ.com and get yours. Once they go, they're gone. In addition, if you just if you want to make it easy and you want a link, if you text us the word tickets, T-I-C-K-E-T-S, to our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, we will send you a, a link. Make it very easy to do that. I'm also going to be joined by the governor in just a little bit over an hour. We're going to be talking about um, they're, we're going to be making gummy bears in Wisconsin. And if, before you roll your eyes, it, it looks like it's going to be about 400 jobs. We're going to be talking about the unemployment rate. We're going to be talking about this latest report about a quote-unquote structural deficit and whether or not that's really a big deal or not. So all that's coming up in just a little bit over an hour. Check that out. All right. One of the reasons I think it is so hard to do political polling now is because everybody has cell phones and everybody has caller ID on their landlines. And I don't know, but if you're like me, if if my cell phone rings and it's a number that I do not recognize, I'm not going to answer it. Um, and if it's something important, it, it'll go into voicemail. But more often than not, I, the reason I don't answer it is it's because it, it's some robocall. It's some solicitation. And in many cases, the, the solicitations are, are fraudulent. I was listening to Jane Matinair talk earlier today. The IRS robocall scams are, are out there, you know, where the people call up and they leave the message saying that I'm from the IRS and you owe us a bunch of money. And unless you make arrangements to pay us, you're going to be arrested, you know, which is, of course, a complete and total scam. And there's all these variations of that. But it, it they guppy people in. But when you talk to consumers, if you're like me, when it comes to these unwanted solicitations, the robocalls, I think that's probably your, your number one complaint. So here's what's going on. They estimate. The FCC estimates that there are 2.4 billion, 2.4 billion robocalls, not every year, but every month. 2.4 billion robocalls every month. And many of these robocalls come from illegitimate or unassigned phone numbers. So like the phone number that pops up or the location that pops up, it's an, it's a non-existent number, which makes it almost impossible. Even if you get that, for example, the threatening call saying we're from the IRS and we owe you money, 
that number that's popped up that you see that you've answered, it, it's, it's in many cases, it's a non-existent number to begin with, which makes it very, very difficult to even try to track down where this has come from. So the FCC is saying, look, robocalls are the number one consumer complaint that we get from people in the public. And again, many of these are these tax officials or or whatever, or they're asking leading questions that prompt customers to give up personal information as part of an identity theft scam. They also estimate that more than one about more at least one in 10 U.S. adults has been the victim of of a phone scam. So what the FCC is doing is they want to pass rules which would allow phone companies to target and block robocalls coming from what appear to be illegitimate or unassigned phone numbers. So in other words, the phone companies um, could stop the calls from getting through in the first place. And the idea being, if the phone companies did that as a first line of defense, what would happen is you as a consumer would get fewer robocalls. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How big an annoyance are robocalls to you? And would you support rule changes, which would essentially say, all right, if this is an unassigned or an illegitimate number, I don't want this call coming through. I want the phone company to be able to block it. Would your life be better if you didn't have to answer the robocalls? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And should the government be helping us do that? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 940 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ after the long but successful West Coast trip. And it was a great trip. Four and two. Outstanding. The Bucks return home to take on Dwight Howard and the Atlanta Hawks. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause will have our coverage tonight beginning at 640 on WTMJ. Okay, the FCC says the number one complaint that they get from consumers is that you're barraged with robocalls. And they say, believe it or not, 2.4 billion robocalls are made every month. Many of those are, are just complete scam calls. And many of them come from non-existent numbers. The, the robocallers set it up so that the number that appears on your phone, for example, it's a non-existent or it's an illegitimate number, making it almost impossible to trace who is actually making the call. The FCC is proposing regulations which would allow local telephone companies to block those calls. In other words, if a call comes in from a number that's not registered, it just wouldn't get put through. How big a problem are robocalls, and would you support something like this? Let's start with Dan and Fond du Lac. Dan, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? I, th- I think it's a great idea. I'd be behind that, I'd be behind that legislation 100%. Um, I think I get between one and three robocalls every day. Really? On your cell phone yeah. or your land, on your home phone or what? I don't have a land, so okay. yeah, they're all on my cell. And um, you have, yesterday I got one from Frisco, Texas. And <laughs> I don't know anyone in Frisco, Texas. So yeah. Obviously, I ignore the call. But what I've had to do is just, if I don't recognize the number, I don't answer. And the problem is there. I've noticed lately the numbers that call my phone um, resemble, you know, area codes where I live. Oh yeah. And even to the point where like the first six or seven digits of the, of the incoming call, um, matches my cell phone. So 
I'll, a lot of times wonder if it's someone from my work because we all have similar cell numbers. So right. um, they're able to match numbers that you know I would be familiar with. So. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Just I, see, I I get a lot of calls from Frisco, Texas, as well. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we're on kind of like the this, the exact same list. Now, my um, yeah. my my late wife's sister lives right in that area, so, so I, I keep thinking, okay, is this? But this isn't the number I have for Jan. I don't think this is her calling me. But yeah, you you wonder about those things, or your phone rings, and you know, you're you're doing something. You you sit there and you have to go through the trouble of like looking at it. Do I want this call or not? Um, I. So you're in. Fa- I say I'm with you. I mean, I think anything we can do to shut these things off, I am all in favor of. Yeah, and you know, if, if another problem is if you're expecting a call from from a potential employer or huh. maybe a product you ordered, you know, you might be inclined to answer that call, thinking that that's who's calling you when it's really just a robot call. Well, it is. I mean, thank. It, it's it's interesting. I have. I have my cell phone you know, during the show. I have my cell phone out on the counter in front of me, and I, I just turn it on vibrate. And just in, in, and most people know not to call me because they know what I'm. If you know me, you know what I'm doing from eight thirty to twelve, and I'm not going to answer it. But this phone, the phone rings, and it's a number from like River Hills, Wisconsin. And I'm thinking, okay, River Hills, River Hills, River Hills. I'm trying to think what it. Now I turned it out, and then left a voice message. It turned out to be somebody from my doctor's office. Why that comes back to River Hills, I don't know. But again, I'm thinking, okay. Should I answer this or, or not? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lloyd in Milwaukee. Lloyd, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I would absolutely support uh, anything they could do to ban it. I'm like your previous caller. I get two to three calls a day. Uh, usually, it's from a Rachel from a credit card company telling <laughs> me that I've got no credit card problem. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's the same same song and dance. And I'm on every no-call list that's out there. Right, and, and, and still you get the calls. Yeah, I Still I get the calls. And I use my cell phone for business all day. There's nothing more aggravating than being on a call with a client and get, getting interrupted with those kind of calls. And the same thing, area codes match my Milwaukee area code or my Waukesha area code. So you think it's something legitimate. And you go to answer it, and it's just a waste of time. Well, and also, I mean, now these scammers have gotten so sophisticated that, you know, remember the reports a couple weeks ago where you, you, you answer the phone and you say hello, and then somebody says, can you hear me? And you say yes, and then next thing you knew, you know that they, they use you saying yes as the basis to, you know, say that you ordered something or, or whatever. I mean, it's just the way these scammers operate is just incredible. And, yeah, I guess – if we can block the calls in the first place, it seems to me that that's a good idea. And my question would be, why is it taking so long to do something like yeah. this? To me, it's common sense. Um, I, no, I think, thanks for, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you 100% here, because I certainly believe this whole notion that you've got, I mean, that this is a major consumer complaint. It is an annoyance, and it's more than an annoyance. It is setting you up for, for fraud. Let's talk to Renee in New Berlin. Renee, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. Um, yes, I get sometimes three to five calls a day, and sometimes it's from the same person, but they switch up the phone numbers. Right. I They even called me from Nova Scotia, Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? And a lot of times it's that credit card company, but there's a, a, a scam out there from a person calling up saying he's from Microsoft and that they got pro- problems with my computer. Well, you know, I hadn't had my computer on for several 
whole week. Right. And they um, they tell you to go on to your computer, and they're going to help walk you through it. Well, I talked to Microsoft, and they said they never call you <laughs> unless you call them first. Right. Just like the IRS. Yeah, exa- exactly. But what they're obviously trying to do is get some identifying information or or something, you know, like that. Um, th- this whole this whole idea, yeah. And, and thanks. I mean, I guess. See, this is th- th- this is the thing. I, I got to tell you something. Not only do I support this legislation, not only do I support rules which would give the phone companies the authority to do this. I think I would support rules that would require the phone companies to do this. And that is, uh, look, if there is a number which is known to be illegitimate or which is unassigned, and that th- there's. There's got to be software that identifies that. If there are unassigned numbers and these calls are being routed through these unassigned numbers, that tells you it is a scam. I mean, anybody legitimate that is going to call you has a phone that is registered in some way. I mean, why would we allow these to come through otherwise? You know that it's going to be you know, essentially fraudulent in this regard. Let's talk to Jack and Franklin. Jack, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, Jeff, uh, good morning. Uh, you just took my thunder. They should be required to do this. This problem is too big to go, let it go along. Uh, how many times did I get up off my chair to go and run the answer uh, the phone, and I'm 83 years old, and it gets to be a big nuisance. Well, well, thanks. Well, it, it, I mean, 2.4 billion robocalls every month. Not every year, 2.4 billion every month. And my guess is that a good percentage of them, I don't know if it's a majority, I don't know if it's a vast majority, but a good percentage of these robocalls are from scammers who are trying to defraud us. And the reality is, I mean, who knows where these scammers are? And I'm not criticizing law enforcement, but the problem is, you know, it, 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 it might be somebody in India, it might be somebody in Nova Scotia, it might be somebody in South America, you don't know. And obviously, the fact that these scams are so very prevalent demonstrates that, that there, there are people that get guppied in, there are people who are victimized in connection with this, or else these calls would not be being made. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Mary in Oak Creek. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Mary. I just wanted to say I have cell phones, and I also have a landline through Time Warner Cable. Mm-hmm. Because it's actually cheaper to have the landline than not to have the landline. Yeah, that's uh, that isn't that when when you bundle things when you bundle yeah. your high speed internet. That's right, right. Yeah, and yeah. they have a service that will block these calls. It will ring once, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So if they can do it, why can't the cell phone people do it? Yeah, um, right. And and I think see, going back to what our last caller was saying, I think not only can they do it, I think. I think the cell phone companies should do it. If if you right. if you want to opt into something like that and you say I do not want robocalls. I do not want calls from assigned unassigned numbers. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I have through Time Warner Cable and it's not there's no cost to it. There's just uh, the, the it'll ring once and that's it and I'll know that's what it is. But now they are starting to call my cell phone cuz I got right. a call from the the IRS the other day. You got that I call. Told, yeah. Well, when I told the man that I have an accountant that does my taxes. He hung up on me. Yeah, yeah. But but these guys, but these guys. I mean, you can see. I mean, I've gotten a couple of those calls too, and you can see that they're they're sort of threatening. You know, you're going to be arrested by five o'clock today uh-huh. if you don't pay the money. Okay, well, all right, send them over. <laughs> that's that's right. fine. Trust me, I know some good lawyers. Thanks, but but of course, a lot of people 
don't understand that and they freak out. This is this, the technology is there, and I think this is the type of thing that certainly needs to be done in order to protect people. Joan in Brookfield. Joan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, and listening to the other callers, I, I do have something uh, for voiceover IP. It's called Nomo Robo. Okay. And it does that same thing that the woman was talking about that Time Warner is doing. And it does that. It, it rings once and then it hangs up. What, it's, it's an app you do download on your, on your cell phone? It's just an app that on your computer you can you can okay. enter your home phone number on, and if it's a voice over IP, and it will block those. Okay. And they have started it for iPhones, and they are starting to do, they're looking at doing it for Android phones. Yeah. The Android and the iPhone will cost like two bucks a month or something, but I right. think it's two bucks a month well spent. Oh, oh yeah, especially if you're looking at 2.4 billion robocalls. I guess I just and that's and it, cause I'm sure there's all sorts of things people can do to try to protect themselves from this, but. I'd like to shut it off at its source, I guess. And if, oh, if yeah, yeah. it would be nice if you didn't even have that one ring because you still start towards that phone to answer it, and then when it stops, you go, oh, it's yeah, a robocall. Right, yeah, again, yeah. Th- thanks for the call. Now, uh, I'm getting a number of, on our text line, I get a number of people who are, are are saying, well, you know, what do you do? How about the political calls? That's a tougher thing because of the First Amendment. Um, can you – but but again, the, the political calls – this isn't stopping all robocalls. This would be stopping robocalls from unassigned or known to be illegitimate numbers. The, the larger question of you know shutting off robocalls from the you know legitimate numbers, your credit card company or something that you perhaps have signed off on and agreed to accept calls from that when you took out the card. That's a completely different story. But this would be targeted at the scammers. And I say bring it on. It's nine fifty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bowling has been a big part of Wisconsin's history and culture for decades. How is the sport trying to attract younger players? Get the details on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That is at 3.34 today. Be sure to tune in for that. Coming up in, oh, about 10 minutes, uh, the state of Utah is about to lower the limit for alcohol in your bloodstream to point zero five, which would essentially mean for a hundred and twenty pound woman, one drink would perhaps put you over the limit. For an average size guy, two beers would put you over the limit. They say it's a matter of public safety. We will discuss. Then coming up in about forty minutes, we're going to be talking to actually our featured headliner at Insight two thousand seventeen, Governor Scott Walker, about jobs in Pleasant Prairie and unemployment rate and fiscal deficits and all those things. That's coming up in about forty minutes. It's nine fifty nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Ten oh eight. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Insight 2017, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets just went on sale an hour ago. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the link. Headliner this year will be Governor Scott Walker, who, by fact, will join me in about a half hour or so. But he'll be our headliner. We're also going to be joined by a number of guests, including multiple members of the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court um, from the entertainment 
area world. We've got Don Smiley and Bob Babish, and we'll have more guests as well. But uh, Governor Walker, our headliner, looking forward to it quite a bit. It's April 19th, 6.30, and then we tape it and we rebroadcast it the following day. Uh, tickets, I think, are $20, and it's a lot of fun. So go to WTMJ.com. You can click on the links, get your tickets. In addition, we make it easy if you just uh, want us to send you that link. On our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line, if you just text uh, the word tickets in plural, T-I-C-K-E-T-S, to 414-799-1620, we will send you that link as well. Coming up at 1135, our Week in Review, Tracy Johnson and special guest uh, Jim Ott, State Representative Jim Ott, former meteorologist from today's TMJ4 and one of the uh, leading members of the state legislature. So he'll be in with us today. All right. A number of years ago, the threshold for driving drunk, operating while intoxicated, used to be 0.1. That, that's where it, it used to be. That was, the, that was the legal limit. Now, there was also always a separate charge. If somebody had a blood alcohol level below 0.1, but for whatever reason, they were nevertheless impaired. Maybe they're Maybe it was somebody that just couldn't handle their liquor and they were, their blood alcohol level was 0.08, but they were driving in an impaired fashion. They could be charged as well. But the threshold, as a general rule, the legal limit was 0.1. The federal government started pressuring state governments a number of years ago to make it a uniform level. And that's why now 0.08 is pretty much the uniform level for intoxicated driving across the country. Um, I always argued that the reason, the real problem with drunk driving isn't isn't the person who's .083. The real problem is the person who's blind drunk, the person who's three times the legal limit, you know, .24, who's, you know, been doing this over and over again. And I always argued that that was where I thought the resources need to be to be put you know, let's go after the chronic repeat people who are driving blind drunk as opposed to the person who's right on that limit. Well, right right now, the limit has been lower to 0.08 in most states across the country. I bring this up because the governor of Utah announced yesterday that he is going to sign a bill which would, in the state of Utah, lower the legal blood alcohol level for driving to 0.05%, bringing it from 0.08 to 0.05. Now, I, I, I first, I've been kind of following this, and yesterday, in a number of the papers, in the back page of the, of the front section of USA Today, there was a huge full-page ad that showed a, a lovely young woman, you know, who'd been standing there, you know, with, it was a mugshot, and it said arrested after one drink, and it was being run by the National Beverage Council opposing this bill. Um, this change, just to put it in perspective, this change means a 150-pound man would be over the .05 limit after two beers. After two beers, a 120-pound woman could exceed it after a single drink. And, and that's, it kind of it depends on some factors. Again, your metabolism, you know, how much food you've had. But, but this is, at least for some people, including some women, this would be effectively zero tolerance. You could not go out with your girlfriends and have a single drink and still then be able to legally drive. 
Now, I am death on drunk driving. I believe it is a scourge. I believe it needs to be cracked down upon. But I guess the, the question is, is this a good idea? It is, is lowering the legal drink, the limit for, to, from, from 0.08 to 0.05, is, is this going to really, is this going to really solve or make the drunk driving problem better? Or is this going to catch a bunch of drivers who really aren't impaired? On top of that, you know, what is this going to do to the hospitality industry? If essentially now you know that, you know, when you go out to dinner, it's, it's a one beer rule. And don't get me wrong. I am not arguing for people to go out and get blindly intoxicated. But I guess my question is, is this something Wisconsin should be looking at? Lowering the blood alcohol level from 0.08 to 0.05. And if you oppose it like I do, does that mean that we are supporting carnage on the roadways? Because that's the argument that's being made. Drunk driving is terrible. We need to stop it. Well, okay, I agree drunk driving is terrible. I agree that we need to stop it. Is this the way to do it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Utah is about to become the first state in the union to reduce the legal limit for driving while intoxicated from point zero eight to point zero five. Estimates are a one hundred and fifty pound man would be over that limit after a second beer. A one hundred and twenty pound woman would be over that limit potentially after one drink. All right. We're all against drunk driving. Is this the way to attack it? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, uh, Jeff. Hey, I was uh, in uh, Slovakia a couple of years ago, and right. they have a zero zero percent uh, thing. Right, zero tolerance. Yep, zero tolerance. All right, and they're envious of us uh, because I think that if you have one or two beers, uh, you are not legally intoxicated. You know, I, I don't know. Some people might be. Some people might not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I'm thinking uh, is basically uh, what I want to say is that it's just a dumb rule. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, you're going to have a beer or two. It's, it's not really going to put you under. Well, see, I, I, get, see Mike, see, I'm like that. I'm like that way, too. I would need to see, and, and I, I've never been shown serious hard data that suggests that by, for example, lowering the blood alcohol level from 0.08 to 0.05 and and going going after the people that might be driving with the 0.055, that, that they're the ones that are really posing the dangers on the highway. Let's face it. When you hear about your typical drunken driving crash, what is it's the person that's three times over the legal limit. So do we really want to be criminalizing this? Do we really want to adopt, and this is, you know, you go to this level, and this is pretty close to a zero tolerance thing. I mean, that that's just th- this is pretty much like saying, "Hey, you know, you have that second beer, and you're going to be over the limit." Or for a woman, a hundred twenty pound woman, sorry, you you have that one drink, you can't drive. And do we really think that that woman who has that that one glass of wine is really you know un or that one beer or that that second beer that they're really not able to drive? And from a law enforcement perspective. I mean, I want to go after what the problem is. And to me, the problem, again, it's the repeat drunk drivers. And by the way, 
you know, after if you're convicted of drunk driving, like over the limit, a point zero eight or whatever, if if you, as a condition of your probation or whatever, you know, you're told not to drink at all, that that's cool with me. But do we really need to lower the limit? Kim in Milwaukee says, um, "I'm five five and 120 pounds. Let's just go back to prohibition. This this is ridiculous. So I can't have a glass of wine and drive home." Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that means. Um, Justin writes on our text line, uh, enforcing such a low blood alcohol limit will do little to prevent the carnage from the true problem, which is repeat drunken driving, um, often so intoxicated it's amazing they can even walk to their vehicles. Yeah, that's the, that, that's it. But, of course, if you oppose this, then, you know, you've got a lot of the public safety groups who are out there saying, well, you know, you're, you're, you're pro-drunk driving. How can you do that? Well, I'm not pro-drunk driving. I'm just saying let, let's be reasonable about this. And are people really a danger if they've had two beers? Okay, if you had six, I get it. 414-799-1620 is the number. Brian in Pewaukee. Brian, good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, do you really think that this type of adjustment in the blood alcohol content will keep the chronic repeat drunk drivers off the road? Absolutely not. So. Absolutely, I'm with all you. Absolutely does, not. All this does is affect the responsible, um, yeah. you know, drinker that wants to go out to dinner, have a beer or two, have a cocktail. Right. I mean, that's the type of people it affects, and I don't think that's right. Right, and 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 I and I guess I'm just not convinced, Brian, that 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 person, the the, the woman that has okay, goes out for the fish fry tonight and has two glasses of wine, and then gets her in a car and drive. I mean, and I'm, and I'm not talking about pails of wine, but over the course of the meal, has two glasses of wine and drives home. I'm not at all convinced that she's the problem, that she's the reason you have carnage on the roadways. Now, if she has six glasses of wine, I get it. But two, give me a break. And, I mean, and I appreciate why the hospitality industry is all worked up about this, because if you essentially say, you know, one drink and you're over the limit, you know, what's that going to do to the bars and the restaurants around here? Absolutely. No, thanks. I mean, see, and that's that. That is what the issue is. If you want to, or or why? I guess maybe the question should be: All right, if we're going to do that, should we just do what some European countries do do? And it, it's at zero tolerance. You know, you're not allowed to drink and drive a, at all. I just don't think that makes any sense because I don't think the people who are driving after the two beers, legitimately two beers. I don't think that they are the problem as a general rule. It's the person that's driving after the six or the seven beers. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got um, Andrew in River West. Andrew, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I just wanted to say that basically this is a you know non-solution to a real problem that we have. And yep. uh, <laughs> yeah. going after these people is, is not the right thing. We need to go after the people who are, you know, getting blind drunk and driving their car, which we do see a lot of right. in Wisconsin. Or the repeat drunk driver, the people that have just gotten convicted for their fourth or the fifth or the sixth OWI and continue to get behind the wheel of the car. Let's spend our resources trying to get those people off the street as opposed to, you know, worrying about, uh, again, the lady that goes out and has two glasses of wine after work on a Friday, but she's 120 pounds and she hasn't eaten, so she's going to be point, you know, zero five two. What 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 do we gain by making her a drunk drive, convicting her of drunk driving? A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, just yesterday on TV, I I saw a guy who, who got in a big rig. I think he thought he could drive it, and it wasn't going anywhere. He was honking the horn like a madman. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he thought he could drive. I wasn't sure what was going on there. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean... I think he was drunk with power. <laughs> I'm not sure he was drunk with alcohol, but something was going on Thanks there. for the call. Yeah, I, well, it's just... Look, I... I, again, I, I just I don't want emails from people saying, "Well, don't you care that people are drive or dying on the roadway?" And and that's when they were hearing testimony about this out in Utah. That's what you had all these these groups that would show up, and there was there was a very compelling picture of a woman who's in a wheelchair saying, "You know, I was I mean I I I, I was disabled because I got hit by a drunk driver." I I get it. I mean, I understand that's an issue, but you know how many people how many people suffer that type of carnage? Because the the drunk driver, the quote unquote drunk driver, had a blood alcohol level of point zero five two. My guess is the drunk driver had a blood alcohol level of one point five or two or whatever. Those are the ones. Those are the ones that we need to you know get people off the the street. Now I do understand. Whenever we talk about this, I get emails. I got a couple texts now as well from people. If you if you're a commercial truck driver, for example, there is effectively. There's effectively a zero tolerance policy. You know, I think that I think the legal limit is like point zero four, but that that's like for truck drivers and it's for airline pilots and things like that. It's because of the special circumstances that you find yourself in. And I'm certainly not going to argue that that needs to be changed. I know there's a lot of commercial truck drivers who feel that that's unfair and things like that. But that's just kind of a condition of the profession you've you've chosen. As a general rule, I don't think I don't think somebody is so impaired. As a general rule, at zero eight, that they shouldn't be allowed to drive. Now, I I get it. Maybe you you've got that one person whose metabolism is such who doesn't weigh very much, and, and they're at point zero eight. They shouldn't be behind the wheel of the car because they're impaired. Well, fine for that one person out of a thousand or out of ten thousand, and they're driving in an impaired fashion. There's a law that they can be charged with as well. But as a general rule. I would say leave point zero eight alone. Ten twenty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, so what is that exact, exactly does it take to make a run to the NCAA Final Four as an eight seed? One man who knows the answer is Andy Kowski. He's a former Badger who was a starter on the 2000, 2000 Final Four team. He joins Scafidi and Billstat today at 135. All right. The Milwaukee County Board has, this is a, it, it's a baby step, but it's a good step. They have, on a 12 to 5 vote, approved a resolution that would create a a group, a committee, but at least it's a small step, to identify steps needed in making a transition, taking the county pension system, which is run by the county, and turning it over to the state system. So you, you, you never hear problems about the state pension system you hear nothing but problems about the Milwaukee County pension system going back for 16 or 17 years. Of course, the recent revelations are the former pension director was fired because there was an employee who apparently they identified a few years ago that she was getting too much money and they didn't, they just didn't cut it off. They just continued to give her more and more money that she wasn't entitled to. Now she's been overpaid 140 grand and people are trying to decide what do you do? How do you get that money back? Um, so actually the, the pension director was the one who took the hit for that, perhaps deservedly so. But her response was, you don't understand how screwed up this thing is. And yes, I, I missed this one, but 
you should have seen all the other ones that I took care of. And I mean, I'm running around. It's like the dike and there's water that's pouring out all these ways. And I'm up there and I'm, I'm plugging up all these holes. And yes, I, I, I plugged up, you know, a hundred and I missed this one. But the big question is, why are these problems? You do not hear about these type of problems with any other pension system, but it's because pretty much anything that the Clown Car Act that is Milwaukee County government touches ends up getting screwed up. And from the perspective of those of us who are taxpayers in Milwaukee County, as well as people who are retirees from Milwaukee County, the sooner, the sooner Milwaukee County gets out of the pension business and sends the responsibilities over to someone who knows what they're doing, the better. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Couple thoughts on what we just, final thoughts on what we were just discussing. Um, have an email from Matt, who is listening from Salt Lake City, which of course is where the, that, if you were in Salt Lake City, this would, this is, if you lowered the uh, legal drinking limit, this would affect you. Listening in Salt Lake City, the law is ridiculous. The most frustrating part of it is that the people passing the law are non-drinkers. The government has a large number of Mormons who do not use alcohol. They do not understand the effects of alcohol, yet they are the ones that are setting the laws. This is a poor idea, and it will adversely affect our economy, namely tourism. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jack writes, in the early 1960s, the legal limit was 0.15%. So I... And, and see, I mean, I, again, I, I understand where you can make a very strong argument that, you know, 0.15 is too high, that you shouldn't be drinking with that much alcohol in your system. But at the same time, can't we have a Goldilocks rule, you know, not too hot, not too cold, but just right? And um, it seems to me 0.05 is not that limit. Quick reminder, tickets for Insight 2017 just went on sale about an hour and a half ago. It's going to be Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Featured headliner, uh, Governor Scott Walker, is going to be back to talk about, well, lots of things, the future of the state and, you know, his career, things like that. We're also going to be joined by Don Smiley and Bob Babbage, Summerfest 50th anniversary. We're going to take a look forward, but also take a look back. We'll be joined by three members of the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court, Rebecca Bradley, uh, Annette Ziegler, and Dan Kelly, to talk about what it's like to be a Supreme Court justice. And we'll be announcing some more guests moving forward. But the tickets are on sale now. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on a link, and get them. Um, We expect that there's going to be a big turnout, so don't get shut out. Go and check that out. In addition, if you want us to send you the link, we'll make it real easy to do that. Just text the word TICKETS, T-I-C-K-E-T-S, to our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, and we'll send you the link so that you can get the tickets. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people at Insight 2017. Should be a lot of fun. And another quick reminder, opening day. Opening day is a week from Monday. Brewers open at home, I think, for the third year in a row against the Colorado Rockies. And, of course, opening day on News Radio 620 WTMJ is a very, very big deal. I will be doing my entire show. The plans are just like we did last year. We'll be back in the dugout. Very, very cool. Have to have, always have to have somebody there. Last time, um, 
just almost got clipped by a ball that somebody like fired in from left field. So you got to be kind of aware on that, but it's a lot of fun, and we'll have a, just an A-list lineup of guests as well. So that's all coming up. Let's take a quick break. We're scheduled to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin in just a couple minutes. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 1038, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1040, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Governor, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us. And by the way, thanks. You're one of our headliners for, you are our headliner for Insight 2017 coming up in April. I'm looking forward hey, to. glad to do it. Great tradition. It, it is. All right. Uh, let's. Let's talk a little bit, Governor, about the big job announcement yesterday, Pleasant Prairie Gummy Bears. Yeah, it's pretty sweet, and, uh, and the candy's pretty good, too. Now we're, uh, Harbo, who is the one of the world's largest um, makers of candy, they make the uh, Gold Star Gummy Bears and all sorts of other great treats. They picked Pleasant Prairie, Kenosha County, Wisconsin, to be the, uh, the first, North American manufacturing site that they have, and uh, we could be more pleased. It's 400 jobs. It's a $242 million investment here in southeastern Wisconsin, and those 400 jobs are, are just to begin with. Those are the initial jobs, and they're good middle-class jobs. They come with full benefits like health care. I mean, they're just outstanding jobs, the kind of jobs you build the middle class on, and they're part of a great trend. We had the same week, we had uh, flat industries down in Beloit. Uh, do a ribbon cutting. Uh, they're one of the world's largest uh, boxing companies. So we had uh, Mills Fleet Farm are, uh, talking about uh, a new distribution center, a major new facility up in the Chippewa Falls. This, on top of the great news when it comes to unemployment, has been a great week for uh, for people looking for work and, and better wages in Wisconsin. Governor, what is it about Wisconsin that you think it, it makes it attractive, for example, to this German company to say, okay, we're going to come to Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, to open up our, our first North American plant. It's a combination of things, but it starts and, and ends with the people, the people in terms of the quality of the team that work together on this, and, and not just of getting a pitch. You know, you've got Todd Battle on the Kenosha Business Alliance, you've got Jim Page in the M7, you've got our team from the Wisconsin Economy Development Corporation, uh, you've got the team in the village of Pleasant Prairie, which John Steinbrink is the president and others. They love that, but what they love is they talk to CEOs, particularly those who come in that region. Jim Hawkins at Kennel Manufacturing is a good example. He came years ago. He's one of our best spokespersons uh, for the state of Wisconsin because what he tells would-be employers is that when you come, it's not just a one-time pitch, one and done. It is a continual commitment to an improved workforce, to a better business climate, to good quality of life. They see a tax burden going on. They see a reasonable regulatory environment. They see the end of frivolous lawsuits. And most importantly, they see a commitment to workforce. We had the president of Gateway Technical College with us yesterday. We just understand that that we can't be a one-and-done. We've got to continually work with our employers, not just those coming, but those that are here to grow the economy, and, and that's been the key to our success. Governor, you you were alluding earlier to the the unemployment rate. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, when, when you took over, <laughs> the, the unemployment rate at, at pretty much all time highs, both nationally and in Wisconsin, it's gone down dramatically over the last several years. It has. I mean, think about when I was a candidate, January of two thousand ten, unemployment at nine point two percent. It peaked out at that high point. Even December of two thousand ten, before I took office, it was eight point one. It is now down as of the numbers that just came out yesterday. So the 
their national numbers for every state for, for February, so it's a month behind. In February of 2017, Wisconsin unemployment rate, 3.7%. A year ago, there were economists uh, in UW system and otherwise who said, oh, it's going to creep up to over 5% in January. We've now gone below 4 in January, and we're now down to 3.7. To go back in time to where we've been that low in the past, you have to go all the way back to November of 2000. Of 2000, so now it was Tommy Thompson, the governor. Bill Clinton was still president of the United States at that point. That's how far back in time you have to go. And then, you know, there might be a cynic out there, although I would imagine most of your, your listeners are, are on the ball, so they'll know this fact, but maybe there's one or two cynics out there that say, ah, yeah, but, but, but are people really working? Our labor force participation rate, that's simply the percentage of people, adults in the workforce, is now up to 68.3%. It's up from last month. It's more than five points higher than it is nationally. That means we, like most other Midwestern states, we're in the top ten of states of people actually in the workforce. So when unemployment goes down, that's because more people are in the workforce. Our number one challenge now is not job creation. It's finding enough people to fill those jobs. So really, so that's, of course, I know it's it's one of the premises by, behind a, a lot of the reforms that you've been talking about, about able-bodied people um, trying to create essentially a disincentive to have them just stay on, on the dole. You're convinced that there's enough jobs out there for people who are actively looking for jobs that they're ultimately going to be able to find them. Absolutely. I mean, we've, it's the whole package from K-12 education. I was at Bradley Tech today talking about ways to improve getting uh, our, our students ready to enter the workforce, uh, whether it's right out of high school, whether it's an apprenticeship, whether it's through our great technical colleges or at UW elsewhere. But it goes beyond that. And it's not just it's not enough to just have students get the education and training for which we're putting more in than ever before because we know because of Act 10 it can go right into the classroom where it has an impact. But you hit the nail on the head. It, it's Wisconsin works for everyone, which really builds off the success that Tommy Thompson had a welfare reform some 20-plus years ago. It has faded away nationally and even to some regards in the past state. We need to say that everyone who is able to work will be enabled and, and required to work uh, as long as someone can physically and intellectually handle work, and even for people with disabilities, overwhelmingly they want to work. And, and what we've done with this program and this budget is remove the barriers, make it easier for people to work, uh, require those who haven't been working to get into the workforce. We'll give them the training and the, the uh, support that they need, even if someone fails to pass a drug test, for which we're happy we, we finally got a president of Congress willing to allow us to ensure that everyone in the public assistance can pass a drug test. We put our money where our mouth is. We get them in the rehab. We want them healthy. We know there's enough employment opportunities out there for anyone to get a job in the state and a career. Governor, let me ask you this. There's um, Today, there, there's screaming headlines, both in the Madison and the Milwaukee papers, about how your budget proposal would create a large structural deficit, nearly $1.1 billion in the ensuing budget cycle. I don't. I think there's a lot of people who don't actually understand the whole concept of structural deficit. But you know what? What what is going on here? And what what with the budget? And are you concerned about an alleged structural deficit? No, because we've had a surplus every year. I've been in office. We'll have a surplus at the end of this fiscal year, as we will at the end of the budget process. That assumption is based on the assumption that we don't have growth. Uh, we think it is reasonable to expect growth. We actually think it's responsible to expect significant growth, but even in our conservative estimates for growth, 
Uh, we more than make up that margin out there. And it's precisely why it's so critically important for us to continue to put more resources into uh, training, education, workforce development, welfare reform, all the things that get more bodies into the workforce. Because when you think of 400 jobs with Garibo, when you think of flat industries, hundreds of jobs, you think of all these others out there, the only thing that's going to stop us from growing and adding more work and higher wages, which, by the way, First three quarters of last year, wages in the private sector went up 7%. So these are good, decent jobs that are being created in the state of Wisconsin. But the only thing that's going to slow that down is ensuring that we have an adequate workforce. And that's why we have all hands on deck. We're, we're not going to allow people to sit on the sidelines. We're going to get them in the game. And even reasonable expectations for growth uh, put us, uh, not only cover that margin, but actually put us in a, yet another surplus going forward. We're talking to Governor Scott Walker. Governor, I know you have been watching with interest what is going on in Washington with regard to the, the whole health care debate. What's your what's your view of it? Is it important that changes be made? Is it important that Obamacare be repealed and replaced? What do you think is going to happen today? Absolutely. The one thing that the national media tends to gloss over, even some here in the state, I know you've talked about this, is Obamacare is failing. It is collapsing. It is a mess. And for all the talk about the Congressional Budget Office, many of the national media have ignored that in that report, it showed that 28 million Americans will lose access to their health care, uh, to health insurance coverage, if nothing happens, if Obamacare continues as it is today because it is collapsing. Heck, my neighbor, Mark Dayton, the governor of Minnesota, a Democrat, said last year the Affordable Care Act is no longer affordable. Even Bill Clinton, former President Clinton, said it's the craziest thing. It is not working. It is collapsing. It must be repealed. Uh, I think it is responsible for the House to move forward in a plan to repeal that, to start the process going forward of replacing it uh, with a, a bill that they'll pass, that the Senate will approve, that the President will add a signature to eventually, and that there will be several more phases. There's a phase that Tom Price, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, will be involved in. There's another stage of which the, the next round of law changes that go beyond this kind of ridiculous what's called reconciliation process, but that's the way the law is in Washington. They can only narrowly put things in this bill. Future bills can add more things out there, but but we've asked for a number of changes. They've made a number out there. The Senate will be going forward, but the last thing that can possibly happen is for the House of Representatives not to vote on repeal of Obamacare and get this process moving forward. My hope is uh, they'll, uh, they'll get done with that today, and then the Senate the next few weeks can bring it up. And uh, hopefully we can stabilize the markets and continue to grow the economy as, uh, as the American people have confidence that the, uh, the folks in Washington are doing what they said they do. Are, are you looking forward to having the opportunity to perhaps have more control given from the federal government back to the state with regard to helping administer some of these things? And do you think you think the state of Wisconsin is able to do that? Okay, lost the cell phone. All right. But in any event, we appreciate the governor being on there. That's one of the things with the cell phones that work. Um, we were going to take a quick break. It's 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Got a text on my cell phone. Governor apologizes. It says in a rural area. Apologize for losing the cell phone connection. That's okay. Appreciate the 13 minutes you were able to spend with us. Um, it, it really is a success story. If you will remember when you know Governor Walker took office, you had incredibly high unemployment, and it was nationwide, 
and you know you can argue about who is responsible, but there's no question in my mind that the Walker administration has been focused like a laser beam in trying to promote job creation. And quite candidly, in some cases, they've been doing this facing a pretty tough national headwind. And you, you've, you've seen this. In unemployment in the state of Wisconsin, you know, 3.7%, I think, is the most current number. And what you need to understand is that there's you're never going to have zero unemployment. There's always going to be some what they call structural unemployment. You know, the people that are between jobs, you know, the, the the people that for for whatever reason you've lost your job or you've quit your job and you're waiting to start your new one, there's always going to be one, two plus percent that of that structural unemployment. So three point seven percent is is incredible. Sixty eight percent of the workforce is just an incredible number, and it's a huge, huge success story. And I, I think it is appropriate for the business community and a lot of the corporate leaders, and of course, I, I think for Governor Walker to just applaud that and and take some bows for that. And these stories about a 400 jobs, you know, coming from, you know, a company that's based in Germany, and this is going to be their first North American plant, and they've chosen Wisconsin, that is a success story. Is Do we have further to go? Yeah, 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 we do. But I think if you look at where the state is, you can't argue that it is not on the right track, and that's something that's key. I'm also glad we had the opportunity to talk to him about these screaming headlines about the, the structural deficit. Well, what, what happens is you put out a budget, and then the way they score the budget is they look and they say, okay, well, if everything remains stagnant, if we don't have any growth, you know, what what's going to happen? Well, that's just not the way you typically do your budgets. At home, you set up an annual budget, and you say, okay, these are what our expenses are going to be. But you also figure, hey, maybe I'm due for a raise. Maybe my spouse is due for a raise. We're going to be getting some more income in as well. These two-year plans that they end up doing when they do the budget analysis, well, it, it assumes that you're not going to get any more revenue in. And that just I think that's just a, a sort of a silly way to go about it because typically we do, in fact, see growth. So these are some very, very good stories that are out there, and I'm glad the governor could join us to share them. 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Coming up at 1135, as we do every Friday, our Week in Review, Tracy Johnson and uh, our regular panelist, Susie Falk, is on her never-ending vacation. Actually, in fairness to Susie, she helped me arrange an interview earlier this week, even though she is on vacation. A state representative, Jim Ott, my old friend uh, from from today's, formerly from today's TMJ4 and one of the leading lights in the legislature, try saying that three times fast, for the better part of the last decade or so, um, he's going to be filling in as our one of our panelists on the Week in Review. Okay, this story has been out there for a couple days, and I have intentionally stayed away from it because it's just so darn odd. <laughs> it's It's just so darn odd. When, when the story first broke, it was about a, a father who was very, very upset that his daughter had been sent home from school for for selling, allegedly selling sex toys at the, this Lutheran school down in Racine. And the way the story was presented is that the, the sex toys, again, I, I, 
I, I quickly get beyond my depth when it comes to stuff like this. But essentially, they're these 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 like water weasel type of things where you. It, it's like a long balloon, although it's not really a balloon, and you fill it with water and you squeeze it like a, a stress ball. Would. And it, it doesn't appear to me to resemble anything like what would ever purport to be a, a sex toy. But okay, well, what do I know? So anyhow, the, the father was very upset about this, and, and he is—he's not let it drop. Uh, the latest story in the paper. Let me share with you a portion of how the Journal Sentinel reports it. An irate father is blasting leaders of a Lutheran school in Racine, saying the principal wrongfully accused his 12-year-old daughter of selling sex toys in class and that the school's statements about the incident have humiliated the child. The guy is demanding the dismissal of the principal, the president of the Board of Education, and two pastors at Trinity Lutheran Church and School, where his three children attend under the Racine Parentals Choice Voucher Programs. He said the principal... Um, Pamela Amling pulled his daughter, Frances, from a basketball game on February 9th, telling her coach she was being suspended for selling sex toys, and that a press release issued by the Reverend David uh, Gain on Wednesday misrepresents the events surrounding the incident. They humiliated her. They shamed her, he said of the incident. Imagine a sixth-grade girl being told she was selling sex toys in front of friends and strangers. The whole basketball team ended up wailing and crying. All right, so... That, that that's the dad's story, and he's gone public with this, that the school, you know, did put out a, a statement. Let me share a portion of it with you. The story regarding a student at Trinity has been circulated broadly in commercial and social media. While it's not our practice to share information about an incident involving our students, all of whom are minors, the dissemination of the account warrants a more detailed reply. Several assertions about the school are inaccurate. It is asserted that the student was suspended for selling something alleged to be a sex toy. The alleged characterization of the toy was not the motivation of the disciplinary action taken by the school. We've never asserted that a water snake toy is a sex toy. The student was selling toys out of her locker to numerous fellow students. When the presence of these toys became known to a fa- to the faculty, a letter was sent in January to all of the parents of this specific classroom clearly stating that the students were told that no permission was given for toys to be in school under any circumstance. Let me just add that one of the things I always felt I felt strange about this whole story that I didn't get was that, that they were selling toys, sex toys or otherwise, during the school day. I mean, that, that just struck me as, as odd that a kid is selling toys out, out of her locker. Anyways, the, the statement um, goes on. Again, sale of the toys continued. This is after apparently a letter said you're not allowed to sell the toys. Sale of the toys continued. Eventually, the toys were in the hands of a significant number of students. According to one of the teachers, many of the students sexualized the use of these toys, which was a disruption to learning that could not be ignored. Several parents had also complained to the administration about sexual overtones associated with these toys based on what the students were reporting at home, and that they expected action to be taken. Selling toys after clear communication prohibiting the presence of toys in school and the disruption it generated in the school led to the suspension. It was asserted that the student was suspended for three days. This is simply false. The student served a one-day-only suspension. Since then, the parents of the child have decided to continue to allow their daughter to be successfully enrolled at Trinity. The parents demanded that the situation be further adjudicated. We honored the request, and the parents were invited to present their position to the Board of Education. The Board reviewed the assertion of the parents, 
other sources of evidence that were causes of great concern and communication from faculty, staff, and other parents. The board determined that the persistent sale of toys in violation of clearly stated instructions and in light of the educational disruption warranted disciplinary action. The board considers the matter addressed and resolved. Now, the dad continues to want everybody associated with this or several people associated with this fired. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. So the school's position is we didn't say these things were, were sex toys. We did say that they they were being sold at school. We told them not to do that. The sell continued. Some of the kids, being 12-year-old kids, were apparently sexualizing them, Lord knows how, um, and that was creating a disruption. So after the kid being told not to sell toys, continued to sell toys, yes, she was suspended for a day. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, did the school overreact to this? Um, the dad says girl was humiliated, accused of selling sex toys. The school says that's not what really happened. Um, it's not about sex toys necessarily, although some of the kids were were sexualizing these water weasels or whatever. Um, it was more about, you know, she's selling stuff at school. We told her to knock it off, and she didn't. 414-799-1620. All right, does it appear, it, what do you think really happened here? And does it appear that the school was unreasonable or was reasonable? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I do know in certain media accounts, the the story of the the girl who was selling these things was that a teacher gave her permission to sell them. I I don't know if that might have been true initially, uh, but, but the school is saying... Hey, once faculty became aware of this, um, letters were sent to all the parents saying students um, are, aren't allowed to do this. Now, um, the, the school apparently also disputes that there was no permission given for the toys to be in school under any circumstances. But it does appear clear that once the school found out that this was going on in, in January, whether it had been initially authorized or not, that they at least say, hey, we, we told people that you, you can't do this, which makes sense to me. I mean... Forget the sex toy thing. I just the story, part of the story I never understood was why is somebody, you know, selling stuff out of their locker in in the first place at school? But in any event, what do you make of this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jerry and Racine. Jerry, good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I believe the father is the one that really made this into more than what it really was. Student clearly was breaking the handbook rules was advised to stop doing it, didn't do it, got suspended for one day. It's the father that is turning this into a bigger deal than what it was. The daughter was doing something she wasn't supposed to be doing. She paid the consequences, let it be at that, and move on for the rest of the year. Yeah, I guess that's, again, that's sort of my sense of, of this, too. Um, I mean, I, I don't think... The sense I got all along is exactly what you're saying. I mean, the the rule wasn't you can't sell sex toys, and it wasn't that we thought this was necessarily a sex toy, although some people, 12-year-old girls, might have been playing with this, whatever. But but it was more like, you know, you're not supposed to be selling toys at school. And I guess I don't understand why anybody would think that you could do that in the first place. I agree. The father is making this more than what it really is. Well, I mean, thanks, and I guess, see, that's... 
you know, th- this happens, th- this happens sometime. And then, you know, to continue to keep the story in the news, and I, I, I want to go down there and I want to clear my daughter's name and all these type of things. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, at, you know, at some point in time, I, I think you, you have to let this, this drop. And I understand that when you, when you talk about a, a Lutheran, you know, middle school, and you start throwing around the terms of sex toys, and then you show the, these these sort of common toys that have been around since the 90s that you can go buy Chuck E. Cheese with tickets, you do make the school look ridiculous if they were saying that, that these are sex toys. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't touch this story in the beginning was because that, that whole thing made absolutely no sense because I'm looking at this thinking, who really thinks these are sex toys? With the understanding, of course, that, again, you know, Maybe you could have the the twelve year old kid that you know ends up sexualizing this different type of stuff, but I, I thought that there was more to it, and I've been wondering, like I say, all along about the whole notion of why are you selling toys in school for the first place. This is one that again, sometimes I just don't understand why why things get pushed, and of course now the dad is continuing to push this, demanding the dismissal of the principal, the president of the board of education, and two pastors. You know where his kids. Attempt. Well, I guess my overall thinking on this is I, I don't think the principal, I don't think the two pastors, and I don't think the president of the Board of Education are going anywhere. And based on at least what the school says, unless it is a complete and total lie, I don't think that they need to go anywhere. Now, if the dad is unhappy with that, well, okay, maybe what he needs to do is find a, again, different school for his children to attend um, starting next year, if you don't like the way this is handled. And I, I appreciate that there's a lot of pointy-headed bureaucrats that do a lot of stupid stuff, but this, candidly, you know, just doesn't necessarily strike me as being one of those situations. And you get the headlines by alleging, okay, common toys are, are sex toys, and you make the school look dumb, implying that they misinterpreted it. This was one that I, I always thought that there was more to the story. And again, who, who knows exactly what the facts are, but the position the school takes in this particular case seems to me to be eminently, eminently reasonable. It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The NCAA tournament is in full swing. How are the Badgers expected to do tonight against the Florida Gators? Stay up to speed with all things Cardinal and White in the sports section of WTMJ.com. Yes, and when you go to WTMJ.com, a lot of different things that you can uh, check out. Check out our mobile app section, which allows you to download various podcasts, the programs that you hear here. And I know a lot of people have been downloading the podcast of my show, and I very much appreciate it. And then you can listen to it when you want. In addition, we've got a number of other podcasts up there Voices that you, you don't typically hear on the radio, and they're very good, and I encourage you to check them out. In addition, uh, today, tickets for Insight 2017 went on sale. Um, Governor Walker is going to be our headliner. I have a number of other guests, including three members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. We're going to be joined. It's the 50th anniversary of Summerfest. We're going to be joined by Bob Babish and Don Smiley, and uh, there will be other guests as well. Um, but it's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Insight, Wednesday, April 19th, 2017. Uh, tickets are on sale now. If you go to WTMJ.com, um, you'll see the link. Just click on it. 
Um, want to make sure as many people as possible come on out, and I'm very much looking forward to it. We should have a lot of fun when we end up um, ultimately doing this. The uh, Again, the, the big story is still what's going to happen with health care. Um, there is going to be a vote apparently today. Nobody seems to know for certain whether or not there are enough votes to pass it, but uh, – it's going to be an up or down vote. Um, I think my prediction is at the end of the day, you're going to have enough of the dissident Republicans who come around, end up casting a vote for it with the understanding, the idea that it's going to go to the Senate and it's going to end up being modified. But the reality is, if you don't do something like that, what's going to happen is Obamacare is going to implode. So something needs to be done. Speaking of something needing to be done, and this this story, while it has a happy ending, it underscores how vulnerable we are nowadays, especially in the world of the Internet, when you have just one disaffected, crazy person and how much disruption that can cause. For the last month or so, there have been various Jewish community centers all across the country who have been targeted with bomb threats and other sort of threats, and as a result, you know, have had to close down. It's created a huge problem. Uh, the Milwaukee Jewish Community Center in Whitefish Bay, a wonderful facility, that I think has had to um, that's had to shut down. I think four times um, in, in recent weeks because of, of various threats that were received. It's expensive. It's disruptive. It makes everybody feel uncomfortable. Well, it, it turns out that authorities think that they have the person who has been responsible for making not just only the threats in Whitefish Bay, but threats all across the country. It turns out to be an 18-year-old guy who was arrested in Israel. So um, the man's attorney says he suffers from a brain tumor that might have had an effect on his cognitive functions. The man holds an Israeli and American citizenship, lives in southern Israel. Um, he is believed to have made threats against Jewish community centers in the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand. And they're, while they're, they're not positive that he's the guy that's done it with Whitefish Bay, I think um, that the thinking is that he probably did. So here's the deal. You have one kook. In this case, it's an 18-year-old kook who is in Israel, who has access to the Internet, who is able to cause all this disruption. So, I mean, kudos for the authorities for catching the guy. But, um, and because of course, when this all this was going on, there were all the stories about the increase in anti-Semitism, and people were wondering, is this white supremacist groups or, or whatever? And it turns out to be like one disaffected loser in in Israel, which doesn't mean change the significance of it and doesn't change the disruption it had. But again, it shows how one person with a computer can, in this case, cause worldwide turmoil. Okay, we've got the Week in Review coming up in just a couple moments. It's 11.34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the time of the week where I, I get to kind of share the load. We call it the Week in Review. We are live streaming on Facebook Live. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, so you can watch us. I dressed up for the occasion. 
Actually, I'm wearing my lawyer clothes all week. Jim uh, Gene Miller's been teasing me about that. Um, we are joined this week by my dear friend, State Representative Jim Ott, former meteorologist from today's TMJ4, starting his 11th year in the state legislature. Jim, oh, good morning. Great to be here, great to be here uh, with you today, Jeff. You know, I, I've been back in this building many times since I, I left uh, Channel 4 and WTMJ. I think this is the first time I'm actually back in the radio studio okay. since the day on your show 11 years ago in May that I announced I was running for the state assembly. <laughs> oh, cool. Very cool. And, of course, as always, from the uh, Commercial Realtors Association, Tracy Johnson. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Okay, let's get started. The The ongoing debate right now is, is health care. Uh, the House of Representatives appears to be getting ready to vote on the repeal, replace Obamacare Act. It is very much up in the air as to whether there's going to be enough Republican votes to pass it. No Democrats are supporting it, and you've got... A 20 to 30 conservative Republicans who are upset because they don't think it goes far enough. President Trump is saying, hey, if it doesn't get done now, it's not going to get done. Jim Ott, what's going to happen and what should happen? Well, what I think they should do uh, immediately is pass the bill this afternoon. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I think it is going to happen. If they're going to have a vote, I think that the bill will pass. It may not pass by more than a couple of votes, but I do think it'll pass. And I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, as you've mentioned, the bill gets sent over to the Senate then, and they'll probably make some changes and send it back to the House. And hopefully in the end, we, we end up with a bill that everyone's happy with. Tracy Johnson. Well, the I mean, the voters spoke loud and clear, and, and I'm with you that I think they, they should pass it. I mean, that was the one of the the primary uh, running points of his campaign. Do I think that they maybe made a little bit of a mistake by causing all this consternation, putting health care first? As opposed and, to as tax a, reform or tax infrastructure reform. or something like that, yeah. And, and I think what's, what's interesting, and as I listened to the pundits talk about it last night, they really have their paths figured out. Do we, if it fails, we can easily throw Speaker Ryan under the bus. Yep. Uh, if it doesn't pass, then you know we're going to go back to the districts next time around and say, "Hey, your guy didn't vote for for Trump Care." And and I, th- I think it, it was it's a brilliant strategy to really draw the line in the sand and say, "Listen, this is what people voted for. This is what I'm offering, and, and take it or leave it." Do you think that? Do you think that the the pressure? I mean, of course. You've got the mainstream media that's out there, and almost every story you see says, if, if you vote for this, X number of people are going to pay more in the premiums, or X number of people are going to lose their coverage. Um, do you think that dynamic is having some influence on the people in Congress? Well, yeah, I think it is. And even when you look at the polls, and we're going to talk about the Marquette polls later, people are, I think they're very afraid. They don't love what they don't know is in the bill. They like the whole idea of making sure that everybody's covered. We can always thank Obamacare for, for making that kind of the, the ongoing narrative. Um, but I think the devil's in the details, and I think that they're going to do the responsible thing. And, and I think it's good that the Freedom Caucus is there pushing for more changes. And and at the end, if it passes, I think it's going to be a better bill as a result. And I think, Jeff, uh, back when uh, the Obamacare was was first brought forward. I didn't hear the media questioning the right. things that the president said. You're going to be able to keep your doctor. Right. We're going to cover more people. The costs are going to go down. I, I mean, you just looked at that and said it's impossible for all of these things to happen. The media never really seemed to question it. But now they want to look at every negative possible aspect of the bill that Congress is going to pass today. But I do think it's going to make the situation better because, 
as you've covered very thoroughly and very well, I think, if we just keep going with Obamacare, it's going to completely right. implode. Well, that, that's it. It's a, see, what, the thing that's been frustrating to me, it's a false dichotomy to compare, in my opinion, what the Republicans are talking about with Obamacare now, because I don't think Obamacare now is going to be there in two or three years. I mean, you have more and more insurers who are getting out mm-hmm. of the marketplace, fewer and fewer choices, more costs. So, so I mean, and I, I actually, I mean, I'm not in this conspiracy theorist, but I actually think that was the plan all along. I think a lot of people knew this wasn't sustainable, and a lot of people on the left ultimately wanted to move us towards single payer, mm-hmm. um, government, uh, right, the, the government controlled stuff, right. which is is the next step because if you don't do anything. And then you don't have insurers who are willing to participate in these markets like they've been dropping out of. You, you really have no choice other than have the government have to then take over and manage health care. And I don't want that. Well, and I think the communication, too, as you see, the communication is going to be really, really important in this is in terms of, you know, they're all saying that Medicare is going to go away and all these people are going to lose their health insurance. Driving it down to the states and letting a free market solution run its course, it, it, it has to work. It's almost more like what we had before than what the ACH is. So right. I, I, I think they're going to do the right thing. I think they're going to pass it. And, you know, a lot of people want to know the details now, but unfortunately, this is what, five feet tall, the bill. So right. there's a lot of good things in the bill. I mean, it, it expands health savings accounts, doubles right. what you can put into to HSAs. Uh, it does send the Medicaid back to the states and, and let the states administer it with block grants, which you know, every state is different. You right. can't do one size fits all for, for all 50 different states. And so uh, I think I think there's a lot of good things in this bill. OK, um, we were as long, let's stick on the national issues. And we were talking about polling a little bit earlier. The Marquette University Law School poll came out earlier this week showing in Wisconsin Donald Trump's approval rating at at 41 percent, no honeymoon at at all. Do you believe those numbers? And what what does that really mean? Should it change the way Trump governs? Because I think in the latest Gallup poll, his approval was 37 percent. So those numbers in Wisconsin seem to be consistent with the numbers nationally. Tracy. Well, and and even if you look at the numbers before uh, the inauguration, I believe in January, his numbers were 33%. Right. So, and the Republicans overwhelmingly are supporting him. And I, I don't know exactly what those numbers were before, but somewhere around 86% of the Republicans that were polled are saying he's doing a good job. Now, it's interesting when you look at the, it, it, the issues, when you talk about the health care, overwhelmingly, People don't support it. But immigration uh, policy, the Supreme Court pick. Well, I don't think people understand health care either. Well, I don't. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so complicated. Yeah. But but I think overall, these numbers are, are consistent. And I think that that they are good. Do I think they should govern what he does? No, not at all. I think he's going to run on the larger picture platform of change and draining the swamp mm-hmm. and getting things done. And these polls were all wrong anyway. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I, I was surprised the number was as low as it was because um, a lot of conservatives, myself included, are actually very pleased with the way President Trump has operated so far and uh, with his picks for his cabinet. Right, and, and his Supreme Court, to, Neil Gorsuch, absolutely. So I, I'm surprised the number is as low as it was. Um, but, you know, he's he's been in for a couple of months now. Right. And it's very early in his presidency, so I don't know that that 41% number necessarily has a lot of meaning. Also, I'd, I'd like to see some numbers from the wider, you know, other states and see how he's doing there as well. The 41%, I think, just applies to Wisconsin. I think also there is a disconnect between personality and, and performance. I, I think what's reflected in these numbers is the fact that there's a lot of people, myself included, 
who just wishes he would stay off the Twitter. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I mean, when, when you talk about the immigration reform, I support him. Like you were saying, Jim. I mean, I, I think Neil Gorsuch is the Supreme Court. I think that's a home run. It's like okay. 535 on a Sunday morning, you're sending out stuff about I'm being wiretapped by the former president, all that stuff, which ends up being a distraction. Or if there weren't five million illegal votes, I would have won the popular vote. All this stuff that then the media seizes on and that becomes the story for two weeks. If I think in some respects, he's his own worst enemy by the social media stuff. And that, I think, is kind of baked into the poll numbers. Sure. And uh, I'll tell you the, the thing with the tweets. Um you know, when you when you're angry at somebody and you write an email or a letter or something, the the good advice is always, well, don't send it right away. Sleep on it, read right. it the next day, and then decide if you really want to send it. When you just tweet stuff out, you're going right. to be putting stuff out there that maybe you look back at and say, I should have said this a little differently. But if you look at the the fact that his numbers have increased, I think that the overarching narrative that the media is kind of focusing on the wrong things, right. and maybe they're they're overreacting to this. Oh, and, sure. And, I actually think that that's helping him. So, and in these polls, uh, admittedly, were done earlier than most of the polls on performance uh, for for a president. And and I think digging deeper too, you look at their approval ratings for Governor Walker, and they're only a little bit forty five higher, yeah. despite their interest and approval of all of the things that Scott Walker's doing. So, and, and, and truthfully, I mean, one of the things politicians learn early. I mean, and, and Walker's a classic example. Of that. If you're going to do hard, controversial stuff. It's better to do it early in your term and then have it work <laughs> and then and then it is to do it the election year. So, I mean, I think and he's doing hard, controversial stuff. But I do agree with you, Tracy, that you, you wonder whether would tax reform have been better to put on the table before health care reform? We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, um, we're going to focus on some local issues. Uh, we're going to be talking about stuff in Milwaukee County. Stick around. It's 1144. It's the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner, Jim Ott, Tracy Johnson. News Radio 620 WTMJ. It's 1148. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, joined by Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors and Jim Ott, state representative. All right. Uh, topic number three. Milwaukee County has just increased, has just imposed a $30 wheel tax. So if like me, unlike you two who do not live in Milwaukee County, if you register, if you live in Milwaukee County for the privilege of having a vehicle, you pay an additional $30 on top of the state registration fee of $70. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, you also get tagged with another $25. So, all right, it's 30 bucks. There is going to be an advisory referendum on the ballot on April 4th. Uh, County Executive Chris Abley doesn't think a $30 wheel tax is enough. He wants to up it to $60. Jim Ott. Can I go way out on a limb, Jeff, and predict that the uh, advisory referendum will fail? No, you think so? I mean, yeah, this I is Milwaukee. So. No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. This is Milwaukee County, and and if there's any sort of advertising campaigns, oh, we need this to support the bus system or whatever, I, you think it's going to fail? And you, you know, it gets pretty when you when you start adding up the the fees, uh, seventy five plus the thirty plus the uh, extra twenty five in Milwaukee. You put another thirty dollars onto that. You're talking about one hundred and fifty five dollars per car. Per car, if you right. have two cars, you're talking over $300 just to register your automobile. Right, and what about the people that have a kid? I mean, you got a couple kids that maybe a, teen- a teenager that has a car, so three cars, you're pushing, you're pushing $450, right. $500. Bucks. So, yeah. so I do suspect it will fail, and uh, we'll see what the county board does when they get the numbers back on this, if they're going right. to take to heart what the voters say. Well, right. they'll have to budget more appropriately. But, but realistically, if you look at... The county's opportunity to to raise money. I mean, this this wheel tax is one of the only ways that they can do it because uh, they just 
don't have a lot of opportunities to increase revenue. And while I believe that it will likely fail, because I, I'm not seeing the advertising campaigns, the support campaigns out there, uh, I don't think the people that necessarily have cars are sympathetic to the, the whole conversation around transit. Um, I, I think what they're trying to push here is that there's just there is a greater need for more flexibility in raising revenue. And you've got a, a gas tax that's low. You've got uh, a relatively low that vehicle is, registration That is Tracy fee. Johnson saying we have a gas tax that is low. Yes. Well, it, when you look relative to other states, I'm not saying I support this wholeheartedly, but I'm saying that that when the county is faced with uh, these expenses, whether it's local roads, whether it's the, the bus pass, if I, if I remember correctly, they, they were losing a ton of money because they gave away free bus passes to, yep, to anybody over the age of 65, yep. which, which wasn't necessarily something that they wanted, um, but it passed. There's, there's, there are a lot of inefficiencies, and maybe uh, they just need to relook at their model. Or, or maybe, maybe we shouldn't tear up Blue Mound Road and Wisconsin Avenue between downtown and the medical college, taking away two lanes of traffic so we can put in a quote-unquote high-speed bus line that gets But that's not what this is paying for. Well, but if you weren't, you're going to, well, yes and no. I mean, that's not all going to be federal money. That's going to be like county money that helps maintain it and stuff. I mean, it's a question of priorities. Well, it it is a question of priorities, but obviously transit is very important to the region and to Milwaukee County. And it's something that they they have committed to paying for. And so how do they do it? They don't have a lot of opportunity. But again, maybe you prioritize stuff and you Mm -hmm. say, okay, do we really need... Do we really need a bus that knocks off six minutes between downtown and the medical college? Yeah, that's a sep- I think that's a separate. I think that's a separate issue. Uh-huh. I think right. any, any time that uh, that a, a government body goes to the taxpayers and say we need more money, I think first you got to look at how they're spending the money they have and really have to justify it. Right. I also think if this would be a binding re- referendum, mm-hmm. you would see some. More, uh, more, more advertising yeah. on it, yeah. And, and of course, the thing with the wheel tax is, you know, we, we talk about quote unquote regressive taxes, taxes that, that impact sure. lower income people more. Yep. Th- th- this is about as regressive a tax as you find because d- do I like paying that extra 30 bucks? No. But is it going to make me sell my car? No. But on the other hand, if you have somebody who's living at the poverty level, mm-hmm. hit them with that. I think it's also going to have the effect of encouraging more people just not to register their cars. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's a factor too. D- yeah. the, the reality. Well, yeah, it, well, and the state, too, isn't giving the county uh, the opportunity to to uh, enforce any of those laws. Look at what they did with the, the people who don't pay property taxes. So I, I think this that, that could cause a, a whole slew of other problems, like you point out. Okay. just We just got, we have a minute, so we'll go around the table quick before we have to take a break and then come back with the Right Stuff Awards. Um, Milwaukee County is considering moving its pension plan to the state system. Now, State Representative Jim Ott, you are in the state pension system. I guess big picture is do you want the Milwaukee County problems coming into the state system? But is it a good idea? Well, there have been some real problems with it, too. Uh, uh, Over expenditures and not disclosing that the money was, you know, spent improperly. Um, And I I guess I don't know what the mechanism would be for this to happen. Uh, I know that if uh, if we would have to take a vote in in Milwaukee County and, and Milwaukee City have their own their own um, retirement system. If we were to have to take a vote on it, I guess the first and foremost question I would be is, is this going to have any detrimental effect on the state right, system? on everybody else, yeah. And if there's changes that had to be made, the changes better be made in what the Milwaukee system has before they come to the state. They'd have to come into the system as is. But the main thing is that we wouldn't be causing problems for a retirement system that's working very well. 
Tracy Johnson. Well, and if I understand this this study, which they approved, would kind of look at that, and if there was a phasing in, and I do think they should look at it with the idea that they would want to move it to the state. There's just more efficiencies that would be created because right now they're looking at some something like 185 different retirement plans. It's a mess. It's just yeah. it's so convoluted and it's so messy, and it's not the fault of any one person or one administration. It's just because somebody wasn't hmm. watching. Uh, what was going on, and over time, these things get screwed up. You look up the definition of hot mess in the dictionary, and you're going to see a picture of the Milwaukee County Courthouse. Okay, when we come back, um, our Right Stuff Awards. It's 11.54. 11.57, Jeff Wagner, Week in Review. It's time for our Right Stuff Awards. State Representative Jim Ox. And I'm going to split the Right Stuff Award this week, up between uh, Speaker Paul Ryan. I can't imagine the week that he has put in in Washington, uh, and I do believe he's going to be successful this afternoon. Uh, really... Uh, just a fantastic congressman, and my hat's off to him. Um, and so he gets my Right Stuff Award. And I will also give a Right Stuff Award to the Wisconsin Badgers. They're playing in a game tonight that I don't think too many people predicted they would be playing in. And uh, we wish them all the best. Uh, and no, no disagreement. Tracy. All right, my Right Stuff Award this week goes to the WEDC and Mark Hogan and his team uh, with the recent announcement of the Harboro Factory, the Gummy Bear Factory, as Gummy I Bears, call right. it, um, building its first manufacturing plant in North America right here in Wisconsin. And that will lead to 400 new jobs um, and I think a lot of great uh, national notoriety in an environment where we already have very low unemployment rates. So my hat's and, off to them. And the governor's talking about these just these, these are good family sustaining jobs yes. as well. So it's good. No, that that's it's clearly a clearly a victory. Um my right stuff award winners on, on the same the same vein, jobs. Bartolotta Management Group, the Bartolotta restaurants, they're gonna be having two job fairs um recruiting for positions. Um there's about a hundred positions available. They're gonna be having their job fairs at the Italian Community Center on um April third is the first one. Second one is April eighth. And again these these are good jobs. Some of them are going to be permanent. Some of them are entry-level jobs. But here's another wonderful local business that's out there. They're growing. They need more people, and uh, they're looking to fill positions. So that's what it is all about. Jim, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me. I am just about out of time. We've got Scafidi and Billstad coming up. Once again, tickets for Insight 2017 just went on sale. You can go to WTMJ.com, make arrangements to buy them. Scott Walker is going to be our featured guest, but we've got a lot of other people, including Don Smiley and Bob Babish from Summerfest and justices from the state Supreme Court and more. So get your tickets before they sell out. I am back 8.30 Monday morning. We do this all again. Have a great weekend. It's 11.59. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.